Tonight I'm going to talk about mindfulness, the phenomenon that has overwhelmed the whole world. It's not now confined to just Buddhist practice. It's sweeping the world at nobody's business in all aspects of life. Not only in spiritual practice, but also in psychotherapy, in sports, in the corporate world, in education, and so forth. Mindfulness is an English translation of the Pali word sati. And sati, which is found in the Pali canon, has only one meaning, and that meaning is remembrance. In the whole of the Pali canon, there's only one word for to remember, and that is sarati, which is the verb of sati. Sati is the noun. There's no other synonym for to remember in Pali. It is very popular nowadays in this whole world, very universally understood that mindfulness refers to present moment awareness. Correct? That's very prevalent. But how do you reconcile that with remembrance? To remember is to think about or to be conscious or aware of something of the past by definition. And yet, mindfulness is popularly used by many people, including meditation teachers, as present moment awareness. And this morning somebody asked me, what's the difference between mindfulness and awareness? Because I was teaching open awareness meditation the other day, and he also understood mindfulness to mean remembrance. So how do you reconcile open awareness which is being aware of what's happening at the senses right now, to remember things of the past. I have pondered over this for many years and did a lot of research in the Pali Scriptures. And based on my own research in the Scriptures, as well as my own experience and the experience of yogis, I've come out with four aspects of mindfulness that are very useful for spiritual practice. Actually, these four aspects of mindfulness can be applied in the worldly sense as well as in the spiritual sense. What I call the four R's. The first R is remember. The second is recollect. The third is remind. And the fourth is retrospect. If you look at these words, all of them deal with past objects. Nothing about the present moment. Let me elaborate. The first R, remember. I'm using this word in the sense of to memorize. For example, right now, you are listening to me. 
And while you're listening to me, you must make a conscious effort to remember what you're hearing and what I'm saying. I like to use a very common example. Many people use chanting books to chant during the morning and evening service. And they've been doing that for years and years. Same old chants. But if you ask them to close the book and chant, most of them will not be able to remember. Why? Although they have been looking at that book and use it for chanting day in and day out, they did not make a conscious effort to remember and memorize. It's one thing to be able to read and chant from a book and to be able to chant from memory. So, the first R of Sati is to remember, making a willful effort to remember what you hear or what you read. That's number one. It's only if you make a conscious effort to remember what you hear or read, then only can you later recall what you read or what you heard. If you did not make a conscious effort to remember what I tell you now or to remember instructions from day one until now, will you be able to recall those instructions and put them into practice when you are on your own? Impossible, right? So the first R is important. The first R is the basis for the second R, which is to recollect the information that you had collected either by hearing or by reading. The third R is to remind yourself to practice according to what you have recollected and remembered. I'm sure many of you are aware that there are Buddhist scholars, very intelligent people with very good memory, and they have gone through their courses, done a lot of reading, they write their thesis, and you can see that they quote copiously from various references to support their argument. Excellent scholars with excellent memory. But if they don't make use of what they learn and put it into practice by reminding them of the importance of putting into practice what they have learned, then it doesn't do much good to them. All this knowledge is good for perhaps reputation, promotion, but not any use for personal development. So the third R of reminding yourself to put into practice what you have heard, what you have remembered, what you have recollected, is also very important. If you are aware of the Anapanasati Sutta, or you are aware of the first part of Kayanopasana in the Satipatthana Sutta, the first exercise is on Anapana, watching the breath. And after the Buddha has instructed the monk to go to a secluded place, sit cross-legged, back straight, 
establishing mindfulness in the four, then he says, ever mindful, he breathes in, ever mindful, he breathes out. Right? Sotowa asasati. Sotowa pasasati. Why are you mindful? Because you have to remind yourself to keep on watching the breath. We are breathing all the time, but how many of you are aware of your breath? Unless you make a conscious effort to remind yourself to follow the breath as you breathe in, as you breathe out, your mind will be lost in thoughts or other preoccupations. This is reminder. And in order to remind yourself, the other two hours must also be there. You must be able to remember those instructions, recollect them, and then remind yourself to put them into practice. This also becomes very obvious. I've been instructing you on how to practice open awareness. I've been talking about the Ada Anchor Principle, about free and easy, touch and go. So every now and then you have to remind yourself all these principles in order to put them into practice. Actually, the theory is very, very simple. The most difficult thing is to remember to do so and remind yourself to do so continually. That is the most difficult thing to do. Now we come to the last R, which is retrospect. The word retrospect is from Latin, and literally it means looking back. Retro is back, and spect means to look. Looking back. I use this word retrospect in the context of looking back at what had just happened. When you practice open awareness, I tell you to anchor yourself to the senses. What is being mindful of what's happening at the senses are not your senses themselves. It is the mind. The ear hears, the eye sees, the nose smells, the tongue tastes, the body feels sensations. But it is the mind that is able to observe the hearing process, the seeing process, the smelling process, the thinking process, and the feeling of sensations, the process of feeling of sensations in the body. It is because when you breathe in and breathe out, the air brushes against the sensitive part of the body, and the body is able to be conscious of that, that the mind can follow the breathing. The five senses know the object first, and then mindfulness follows right behind to observe the process. And it is even more obvious when you watch your thoughts and your emotions. You think first, and then you realize that you have thought. Right? You feel first, and then you realize that there was a feeling there. There's anger, there's greed, there's aversion, there's disappointment. We are actually practicing present moment in the sense of the immediate past. The word present and past are also very relative. How past can it be? 
When you talk about past, you could mean past lives, aeons ago. You could just mean the previous lifetime. You could mean also your childhood times. Or you could mean 20 years ago, or a year ago, a month ago, yesterday, an hour ago, 10 minutes ago, 5 seconds ago, 1 millisecond ago, 1 nanosecond ago. That's still the past. But as you come nearer and nearer and nearer to the present, then it becomes more and more elusive. Because the moment you say present, it's really past. Actually, we can only be mindful of an immediate past object. What can actually be in the present moment strictly are the senses. The five senses can only take their respective objects in the very, very present moment. The eyes can only see something that is right in front of them, not something which they saw the day before, but it's not present. So it's the same for the other four senses. They can only take present objects. This brings me to the next important thing, which is the 561 principle or 561 feature of the six senses. Five represents the five senses, six represents the sixth sense, and one represents the object of the sixth sense. Five here signifies that the five senses can only take objects of the present moment. You can only see, hear, smell, taste, and feel sensations in the body in the here and now. Not of the past, not of the future. The sixth sense, the mind, can take objects of the past, present, future, as well as imagination, fantasies, and beyond. For example, Nibbana. A very obvious example is when you're fast asleep at night. You're fast asleep at night and you can't even notice that your body is in contact with your bed. You can't even hear any sounds around you. But you are making your own movie. You're in your own dream. And in that dream, everything is there. All the five senses are working. You can see, you can hear, you can smell, you can taste, you can do all sorts of things in that dream. And it's as real as you can think. But all your senses are actually shut down. So who is doing all that work? It's the mind. The mind is the one that creates all these things. The dreams that happen in you, that occur when you are sleeping, could also be a combination of various causes and conditions. It could be just past sanya, past perceptions. Sometimes they don't make any sense at all. Sometimes it's something else, like some people have premonition, they can see visions of things that could happen in the past. That is, the mind taking objects of the future. This is only for people who have this special ability to see the future, 
I like to tell this interesting story of what I call a samadhi medium. In Burma, there are many spirit cults, and there are Buddhist spirit cults because the spirits cult leader is usually a very staunch Buddhist. In order to communicate with this spirit, what they would do is to observe eight precepts and then use beads to chant itipiso or arahan or various sorts of chanting associated with the virtues of the Buddha. And they will keep on chanting and chanting and chanting and chanting. And they would also make offerings to the deity and make an aspiration to want to communicate with the deity. They will sit down and very, very focused, chanting itipiso 10,000 times in one sitting. And the mind is very, very composed, no thoughts. And when, if they hold their sila strong enough, eventually they will be able to communicate with the deity. This is one true story of a yogi whom I met in Mahasi when I was a young monk. That was way back in 1980, I think. At that time, he had just finished his retreat. Maybe he was there for about two months and he was serving as a kapiya to Saro Pandita. That time I was also off retreat and I was associating with Saro Pandita to get some teachings from him. I was told about his story. He was a samadhi medium. He was married, but he did not have any children. His main source of income is consultation fees. Because people who had problems with missing items or with black magic would come and consult him and he would be able to communicate with the deva and the deva would be able to give him a vision where, for example, that item has been misplaced or who took that item or who was the one who was responsible for the black magic or the charm that was casted on the wife or the husband, or something like that. So he's able to do that. And the wife would act as his receptionist. She would entertain the guests while he does the consultation. And then one day, this deva gave him a vision, a vision of his wife in a fatal accident. And he could see so clearly the place where it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and the time and the date. He warned the wife to avoid going to that place on that particular date. Of course, both of them tried various means to avoid going there. But as you know, fate has its last say. Even though they tried to avoid going to that place, eventually she ended up in that place and she died in exactly the same way that this Samadhi medium saw in his vision. After that, he was just devastated. He lost all his Samadhi. 
And that was it. He lost his livelihood because he couldn't do any more consultation anymore. No more samadhi. So full of sorrow. As we all know, when people suffer, they go to the temple. Right? Otherwise, you're enjoying yourself <laughs> with the five senses. So he went to the yekta, to the center, and started to practice meditation. Well, this is what the Buddha promised in the opening of the Satipatthana Sutta. He says, this is the one way for the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation. So he went there to overcome his sorrow and lamentation. And sure enough, after about a month or so of practice, he went very deep. And not only did he overcome his sorrow and lamentation, he also improved his concentration even better than before he came into the yikta. This is an example of how the mind can perceive future happenings. For normal people, we don't actually see the future. We only make projections of the future based on our past experiences. Correct? We don't really see the future unless you are clairvoyant. There's also a very interesting story of a Singaporean yogi. He has this inborn ability to be able to see what's going to happen in the future. I think last year or so, we were conducting a mindful hiking retreat in Singapore. And towards the end of our hike, we had to cross a little swamp on a slippery log. She was at the back taking care of the yogis. And there was one lady yogi who was walking across on the log. And this lady who had this premonition knew that she's going to fall over. And so she got her, her camera ready and she took the video of her falling into the water. <laughs> because she knew it's going to happen and she couldn't stop it. <laughs> this is the mind able to take future objects. But for normal people, we don't take future objects. It's just projections of the future based on our past experiences and perceptions. Five, six. One means that the sixth sense, the mind, can only take one object at one time. This may sound strange to you, because you may say that, well, that's not how I actually experience it. Because right now, you are sitting there, looking at me, listening to me, understanding what I'm saying, and also feeling other senses. Isn't the mind aware of many things all at once? Yeah, that's how it appears, because the mind works so fast. But modern scientists, neuroscientists, have proven that there's no such thing as multitasking. They have wired the brains of the object of their subjects, put them to a multitasking job and monitored their brain activity. And what they found is that multitasking is an illusion. What actually happens when a person is put on a multitasking job is that different 
parts of the brain are being stimulated one at a time according to the task that the mind is attending to. So on a microscopic level, it is one after another. From a macro point of view, you think that you are multitasking. You think many things all at once. It's only when the mind becomes very sharp and focused that you will be able to notice this. Otherwise, mostly we think that everything is happening simultaneously. When you practice open awareness, you may think that the mind is able to be aware of many things all at once. But that's only from the macro point of view. From the micro point of view, it is moving from one object to another. Or rather, it is being aware of one object after another. Understanding this 561 feature of the six senses is crucial to help us to be able to still the mind. Why is the mind not composed? Why is the mind not settled? It is because it is distracted by all sorts of thoughts. It is because it is locked up in its habitual tendencies of thinking, ruminating, commenting, judging. There's a compulsive urge to want to think. There was one yogi who said that he had difficulty practicing open awareness because I was instructing them to just touch and go. Even thoughts, you know thoughts, you let them go and you come back and anchor yourself to the senses. He said, I have this mindset that thoughts are important, that every thought should be attended to and uh, pursued. So if you have that sort of mindset, you will not be able to practice because you'll be caught up in your thoughts. So it's important to have this mindset. If you want to steal the mind, it's very simple. You just have to distract the mind from the compulsive habit of getting caught up in thoughts. Based on this 5-6-1 feature. Well, if the mind can only be aware of one object at a time, then anchor it to the five senses. And the five senses can only take objects of the present moment. But thoughts are usually of the past or projections about the future. When a person becomes worried and concerned and upset or whatever, it is because that person is getting caught up in thoughts about the past and projections about the future. If you bring the mind and anchor it tie it to the five senses. It cannot help but be with the so-called present moment, or rather the immediate past. The present moment of the five senses, but the immediate past object of the mind. With practice, if the mind keeps on coming back to the senses, we can say in conventional language that that is being in the present moment but actually it's not really in the present, it's in the immediate past. 
the senses are in the present, but mindfulness is actually one step behind, looking back at what had just happened at the senses. But that's good enough. That's as near to the present as one can get with mindfulness. When one creates that new habit of coming back to the senses, coming back to the senses, then the mind will become frozen. It slowly loosens its grip on this compulsive tendency to want to think. The mind is a very malleable thing. It depends on how you program it, and it will perform accordingly. It's just like a computer, or rather a computer is trying to be like the mind. It depends on the software, how you want it to operate. Then you just input the program and it will just follow. But you need time and practice. In a previous hiking retreat in Cameron Highlands, there was one lady hiker who came from the Mahayana school. She had been used to chanting Namo Amitofo. When I asked her to chant Arahang Samasambuddho, it was very difficult because her program was already there. You know, it's chanting Namo Amitofo. But because we have this group chanting every day, and soon after that, she said that she couldn't chant Namo Amitofo anymore. She could only chant Arahang Samasambuddho. So mind refused to chant Namo Amitofo. <laughs> so the mind is programmable. All these bad habits that you have in the past can be unlearned if you are patient enough. Right? It may be a steep learning curve, especially for people who are not used to open eyes meditation or people who have been trained in focused awareness before. It's a steep learning curve. But please be patient, have faith and be persistent. Then you will be able to do it. These are instructions and you must make an effort to remember them. Try to remember this 5-6-1 principle and to put it into practice. Remember, because the five senses can only take present objects and the mind can take objects of the past, and it's usually because it takes objects of the past and makes projections of the future based on past experiences and perceptions, that's why it is troubled and unsettled, clinging on to ideas, to concepts, to beliefs, to expectations, to hopes, based on past experiences. In order to calm the mind, to still the mind, it's very simple, just change the subject, habituate the mind to be with the senses. Now to use conventional language, to be in the present moment, being aware of what you are doing right here and now. That also brings me to another principle that I have been talking about. I call it the Ada Anchor Principle. The Ada Anchor Principle is actually based on this 561 with some additional features. The Ada Anchor stands for A. Accept. D. Don't. A. Acknowledge. And anchor. 
First of all, you need to have the right view and the right attitude towards thoughts, feelings, perceptions, emotions. You accept them as natural activities of the mind. I've already told you right from the first day that everything that happens to our minds is a result of causes and conditions. You have come from a very busy life with many worldly responsibilities. You don't expect to come here and immediately settle the mind. It will take time for the mind to settle. So be patient. Don't try to be a control freak and tell your mind to shut up because now I'm on retreat. You have done enough thinking. Now shut up. That doesn't work. If that works, then there's atta. There's not anatta. <laughs> right? There's no way you can control the mind. It's a matter of creating causes and conditions for the mind to settle down. The first thing you need to do is to accept this. I keep on saying this again and again, and yet people still resist their thoughts. They still want to have a calm and peaceful mind. They don't want thoughts to come and disturb them when they are meditating. <laughs> and they get stuck in this rut, fighting with their thoughts, and the thoughts will go back, retreat for a while, and come back with a vengeance. First thing you need to do is have this right attitude. Accept them, whatever thoughts, emotions, feelings, perceptions you have. Accept them as natural activities of the mind due to causes and conditions which you may not be able to perceive at the moment. But never mind, have the faith that they are based on causes and conditions and eventually you may be able to see some of them. But except these thoughts, feelings, perceptions, emotions, does not mean getting involved in them. Accepting them means not pushing them away. We don't try to reject them, don't try to push them away, and yet don't pursue them either. Don't proliferate. Another thing, don't ignore them. Well, the reason why I put this in is because people who practice focused awareness, the so-called pure samatha method, their principle is to just focus on one object and ignore everything else. Everything else is a distraction. It's none of a business. You're not interested. You just want to focus your attention on one object. When you ignore, then there's no wisdom. It helps you to calm your mind because you don't care about anything else. You just have to focus your mind on one thing and automatically all these thoughts will just disappear. You've got no time because your mind is already fixed on one object. It's the 561 principle. Same. But here we are practicing open awareness. And open awareness is also a form of samatha, but it's a doorway to vipassana. Instead of just ignoring, what I want you to do is to acknowledge them. Acknowledge them for what they are. Whatever thought it is, acknowledge the thought. You don't have to think about them, you don't have to analyze them, just know what sort of thought it is and then anchor yourself. Let go by anchoring self to the five senses. Ada anchor. A, accept. D is don't, A is acknowledge, and 
anchor means to anchor yourself to the five senses. For those two foreigners who don't understand Malay, Ada in Malay means have or got. Got anchor, have anchor. So if you have an anchor, you'll be able to steal the mind. So this formula, Ada anchor, is for stealing the mind. As I said, when you're able to do this, every time thoughts arise, you don't fight with them, you just accept them for what they are, acknowledge them, let them go by coming back to your senses gently, then eventually the thoughts will reduce and you will be with the senses and there will be peace and calm. This is Samatha. Both open awareness and focused awareness work on the same principle. 5-6-1 principle. In focused awareness, you just focus on one object. And it's more obvious. When you focus on one object, you shut off everything else, then the mind doesn't think. There's no time to think. That one object could be your breath, it could be a visualization, it could be a sound mantra, whatever it is, any single object, you just focus on it, then everything else will be shut out. But that's not what we practice here. I don't encourage as our practice because one can get very attached to it and very difficult to get out of it. People who have done this for a long, long time, when they come to practice open awareness, it's very, very difficult. Because automatically, the mind is attached to the peace and calm of focused awareness. So when you ask the yogi to open up the awareness, be aware of things happening, they find it really, very unsettling. Too many things to be aware of. They're just used to one thing. And they keep falling back there, falling back to just focus awareness. And they say, it doesn't work for me. You know, I open my eyes, so many distractions, how to concentrate. Open my eyes, so many things happening. Mind is thinking of this and that and commenting and judging. If you want to make this practice useful in your life, are your eyes open most of the time when you are awake or closed? It's open, right? If you practice meditation or mindfulness with your eyes closed, then you wouldn't be able to do so when the eyes are open. So that's the reason why I encourage you to practice with your eyes open. When you practice with the eyes closed, once you get up, that's the end of my meditation. When your eyes are open, whether you are seated or not, you are practicing all the time. It's a matter of getting used to it. When you see so many distractions going on in your mind because your eye comes into contact with things, it's also an excellent opportunity for you to understand how the mind works. In your daily life, with your eyes open, your mind is continually making comments and judgments all the time. It's just that people are not aware of it. They're not aware because they have not been practicing that way. To them, meditation means sitting cross-legged, eyes closed, focus on one object. Day one until today, I've been actually trying to lay a good foundation for you. Doing Arahang and Sukhino are also Samatha exercises. Arahang is just one object, right? 
and then you just keep on chanting and you put aside whatever thoughts you have. That also helps to calm your mind. Sukhino also has the same effect with a bonus. And the bonus is that you actually radiate loving kindness as well. Not only do you have a chance to quieten your mind and keep it composed, you also can radiate loving kindness. In fact, it is stated in the suttas that among all the kamatanas, among all the meditation subjects, metta meditation is the one that is the most benefit, most beneficial in terms of what it can do. The beneficial side effects of metta meditation. But that's only samatha, helps to calm your mind, and of course in metta then you also have additional bonus. You have the bonus of having smooth relationship with everybody and the devas will love you, the animals also won't disturb you. These are additional benefits. Then when you come to open awareness, I say free and easy, touch and go. Free and easy, touch and go. Just come back to the senses. This will also help to calm your mind. But there is no wisdom yet. How can there be wisdom if you are not investigating? You can only have wisdom when you start to investigate. But it is more effective to start investigating when the mind is calm, when the mind is composed. Then you can see clearly. That's why in the suttas, the Buddha often tells the monks, monks, develop samadhi. For one who has samadhi, can see things according to what has occurred, or according to reality. That's what I have been encouraging you to do. Please continue to do so in, in this way, but then confine your chanting of Arahang and Sukhino to just two sessions, early in the morning and before the Dhamma talk. It's a good idea to actually put it on before I come, so that when I come, I can start with the Dhamma talk. Unless you need these two chantings in the course of the day, when you meet with some fearful situations and you need them, then you can chant. Otherwise, by default, please practice open awareness. Come back to the senses. And again and again I say, try not to stay put with one object. Open up and allow the mind to move freely among the senses. At first, it might not be so easy. You still need to do some Directed awareness, directing the mind to be aware of hearing, of seeing, of various sensations. But give it time, soon the mind will get used to it and all you need to do is to step back and just ask the mind, what can the mind be aware of right now? As a shortcut, you just ask yourself, what's the mind aware of right now? With the implication that you are not caught up in thoughts, imagination, or fantasies. If the mind is not caught up in thoughts, imagination, or fantasy, what can it be aware of happening right now? That is a shortcut. If you keep on watching that, the mind would have no chance to get caught up in thoughts. I shall stop here. Any questions? Clear now, right? Okay. Please continue your practice.